Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. How you doing? So today's episode is, God, a little bit mind-blowing. When I first got an email about interviewing her, I was literally like, are you kidding? (laughs) Um, And then I got to know her and I just, oh my God, I adore her. Today I'm interviewing Nadine Macaluso. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice. Her personal and clinical expertise is in attachment trauma, shame, and relationships. And we have a great conversation about trauma bonds. She has an amazing new um, ebook that you can download all about attachment trauma and trauma bonds. She is also the ex-wife to the infamous Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort, with whom she shares two children. Now, <laughs> if you saw the movie, you know who I'm talking about. And, you know, yes, this is her. This is the wife. She has been happily remarried for 20 years. She and her husband, John, share a blended family of five children and split their time between Florida and their home state of New York. I am happy to say she's on the other side of that complete insanity. And she manages to co-parent with the Wolf of Wall Street. But if anyone knows about trauma bonds and extreme love bombing, it is this woman. She knows about it. And her new book, No More Trauma Bonding, A Therapist's Guide to Healing from Traumatic Love, is available now. You There's a link to it in the show notes. Uh, you can download it. It's an ebook. And I'll tell you what, I've read it. It's phenomenal. I think I, I posted a quote from it in my Facebook group right, right before I think I interviewed, uh, did this interview just before we recorded. And the women were like, holy crap, when can I get my hands on that book? And the answer is right now in the show notes. <laughs> so, um, this is an incredible story. Um, I love that, uh, Nadine is, not just the ex-wife of one of the most <laughs> infamous criminals in, you know, U.S. history. She's also, you know, now a psychotherapist. And so she really got, it gets underneath um, how this happens to the best of us, the smartest among us and all of that. So here is my interview with Dr. Nadine Macaluso. Nadine, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us on the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I am so excited to have you on to talk about this. You emailed me about trauma bonds and I was like, oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. Your story 
we're going to get to your story in a, in a minute, right? So let's, I mean, let's start with you are, besides your story, right? You're an expert right. in attachment trauma and shame. Yes, so, that is correct. Right? So let's yes. talk about the relationship between the two because holy moly, those two, they really do go so hand in hand. They really do. They really do. And I think 12 years now as a clinician in the room with people, I, I just saw this theme that was always emerging and it was shame. Yeah. At the end of the day, it was shame yeah. for obsession, you know, obsessive thoughts, compulsions, addictions, all mental health disorders. And so then I really wanted to understand what causes this deep sense of shame. I mean, this belief that we are broken and defective and there's no hope. Yes. And so I took a two year uh, post doc course on a theory called the neuro effective relational model. Hate that name. So let's just call it norm. (laughs) (laughs) And so what that does is it teach, it taught me how developmental trauma causes shame. Say more. (laughs) Say more because hi, I'm sort of recognizing myself in this. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. So so shame and self-blame are sisters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so what happens is that when the child's developmental needs for attunement and nurturance and trust and kindness and care and warmth are not met, the child doesn't think, oh, you know what? my mom's just having a bad day or my dad drinks too much. And, you know, that's why he doesn't love me. The child has to turn it on themselves and blame themselves because that actually gives them hope of surviving. And that's how shame gets created. And it's really a process. And it really is the developmental state of the child's brain, right? Children developmentally are, you know, for lack of a better word, they are in a narcissistic state, right? right? That they don't see beyond themselves because that's that's how their brain is developing. It's still in a process of developing. Right. And so it's right. perfectly normal and natural. Totally. For children to think and feel that way. But it also leaves this these scars of shame. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought that up about you know, their egocentricity, right? Because that is formal. And also they think very much in terms of good or bad. Right. And holds the dialectical both, right? So you're either good or you're bad. And so they must make, when children feel bad, they think they are bad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So they, they, they don't have discernment and that's how the seeds of shame get planted. Yeah. I know. It's, so tragic. It's so tragic. I think about some of the children in my life and my family and and how that manifests. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. it's just, it's tragic. It, it is tragic. And yet when we understand that we're not responsible for, for what was done to us as vulnerable, helpless, dependent children, yet as adults, it is our responsibility. We owe it Hello. to ourselves right. to, to, you know, help ourselves heal. And that's what we can do. Right. And our, and our children, and our children. to our partners, our children, ourselves, right? All of it. Yeah. Yeah. But it begins with us because, you know, like they say on the airplane, you know, put the oxygen mask on you first mm-hmm. right. and then you can help everybody else. That's right. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you. That was a great question. Yeah. So, all right. Um, let's get down into your story. 
and your experience. So you were married to Jordan Belfort. I mean, this is this story is as as extreme <laughs> and insane as they come, right? You were I would say so. You were literally married to the Wolf of Wall Street. I know. And and you were in a trauma bond with him. Completely. Uh, and so can you explain what a trauma bond is? Yeah, through the lens. Yeah, th- I mean, uh, through your le- the lens of your relationship or not, right? Like, I think that I think your relationship is an incredible model of what a trauma bond is, right? It's like yes, black and completely. white, completely. And you know, I wish the term had been around twenty two years ago. Sure, yeah, Would me too. Me out a lot back then, but it wasn't, and that's okay. So that's why we're here talking about it now. Yeah. So a trauma bond is a connection between two people, usually where there involves a power differential where Mm -hmm. one person has the power and the other person doesn't, or the other person doesn't believe they do such as myself and the love for their partner or their love connection actually gets used, manipulated, exploited, taken advantage of. So it's really a betrayal of trust because you trust somebody that you love And then they betray that trust through various ways of hurting you. And for me, it was my ex-husband's drug addiction and lying and manipulation. And and I was 22 when I met him. So, I mean, I was clueless. You were 22 and he targeted you. Yes. And, And talk about the love bombing that you underwent because it's, I mean, here's the thing about, about love bombing, right? Is that there are degrees you were love bombed to because there was so much wealth, because there was so much money involved. The love bombing was so extreme. So how did he how did he love bomb you? Yeah. And I wanted I want to just preface this answer by the fact I was raised by a single mother in Brooklyn. So our fine, even though I had a lot of love, good enough love for sure, our financial resources were finite. And even her emotional resources, right? As a single parent. Same, 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 same. same. <laughs> so you get it, you get yep, it. 100%. And so, I mean, I, I just, so Jordan was, and he is an over-the-top person, clearly. And so the love bombing, which I had no idea about, started right from the beginning because he had set up a dinner for us to meet that I really couldn't quite understand why we were meeting each other. Well, you didn't. You were you were going to dinner with somebody else, and he yes. showed up. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no. And this woman kept calling me, calling me, calling me. Finally, I was like, "All right, I'm just going to go to dinner with her." I mean, I can't say no. And then she said, "Jordan's going to come," and I said, "Why is he coming?" And she said, "Well, what do you care?" I said, "I don't care. I just think it's strange." But anyway, he came. I'm, I'm from Brooklyn. He's from Queens. We got along fabulously because when he wants to be, he's the most charismatic, charming person in the world. But then the next day after him driving me home, because I still didn't even realize that at dinner, I came home to, I think, 200 floral bouquets. And it was my friend's birthday and I was having a birthday dinner for her. And they were like, wait, did you have sex with that guy? And I was like, no, I just met him. Right. And that continued with, he would have his driver bring me a watch. He would give me cash. He would take me to dinners. And, you know, at that point in my life, I had never seen financial money spent in this way. And I thought of it as a sign like, wow, this guy really loves me. Right. And the design of it, right? And I think the I think it's important to 
to explain the design of love bombing, right, is to keep you completely off balance so that you're not using that discerning part of your brain Correct. Right. To, to, to see, like, you don't have time to, you don't have time to land right. and process. Right. 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 And also because right, like you said, the pacing is so quick mm-hmm. and also there's a very interesting uh, term called invisible ships. It was when the Indians saw the ships for the first time that the Dutch were bringing to shore and they couldn't name it because they had never seen it. Right. Right. So yes. I didn't even know what this was. I mean, I was just like, okay, this feels fun. And feels kind of crazy, but what, what's wrong with it? And if you look at it, you're like, am I looking at, you know, a gift horse in the face? Am I like, why would I not be totally fucking thrilled that this man, I think there's, there's the fantasy he's speaking into, or he was acting into the knight in, in, knight oh. in shining armor. He was, he was going to take care of you. He was going to fix everything. All Completely. of your financial insecurities that handled. Completely. Right? Completely. Yeah. And Right. And at that point, I just wasn't reflective or conscious enough to understand all of that. Mm -hmm. And yes, society has programmed us with, you know, someday your prince will come and he's going to make you feel safe. And I remember thinking, because at that point I, I was going to maybe go to LA to do for pilot season or be engaged to him. And I was like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to be safe. I'm going to marry him. And then I realized playing it safe is the most dangerous place to be. So just for your listeners, yeah. go to the fear. And I, and I yeah. did it. You know, I trusted him because I am a very trusting person and I'm right. an optimist in general. And again, I think this, the invisible ships thing is so important because until you have lived something like this, right. You don't know it exists. No, you literally don't. There is someone that is in my orbit, shall we say, not close orbit anymore, but she's in my family. And the level of psychosis, like when you meet a pathological liar who literally is a pathological liar, well, everything that falls out of their mouth is mm-hmm. not true, but you've never experienced that before. You don't think to question things that might, even though, right, you have these little like huh? That doesn't, does that make sense? Like that's weird. Right. You don't think to go to the, like, she's a psychotic pathological liar because you've never experienced that before. Now I would. (laughs) And and, you know what I had back then, and, and this is what I really don't like sometimes about the literature out there, the current literature is that they blame the victim Yes, and they say you're codependent. No, I had blind trust actually, because I could trust my mother. Yeah, that's right? interesting. And sure. So there's a lot of research about the big five personality tests, which test conscientiousness, agreeableness, extroversion, um, openness, and neuroticism. Mm-hmm. And so there's a really great book called Women Who Love Psychopaths. Literally <laughs> just bought it because in your ebook, oh God, so everybody wants to read it because I was I posted it in my Facebook group and I was like, oh. y'all, and they're <laughs> like, when do I get to read this? So in your ebook, you you quote her a bit. And so I ordered her book and I was like, ooh. Yeah. So anyway, yes, women yeah, who love psychopaths. Because, because she was the first person to not, listen, to, did I have things I needed to look at and work on? For sure. Mm-hmm. Had I Was I using people pleasing and over accommodating as a way to control him? For sure. Mm-hmm. I can own that, right? Sure. I know that now as, as a uh, parentified child. 
Yet these men look for women who score super high in conscientiousness and agreeableness. And guess who scored super high there? Sure. Me. Yep. Me. Yep. And like that, that took some of the shame away from me. Yeah. Right. Because I was like, thank God someone mm-hmm. has done enough research to understand that, yes, I was responsible for my part in it. And there was a deeper layer that I did not know. And I only read that book four years ago. Yeah. Right. Life-changing. I mean, I think that, I don't know, I have a thing about the codependency thing that I think that it has, I, as I identify as like, I have, I, I am no longer, right? But I was a card-carrying codependent. I was Me major, too. major, right? And, but here, again, it's, listen, I'm a codependent because I was neglected. I, my father was an alcoholic and a drug addict and he was in and out of my life. Right. So I don't feel that when I say I'm a codependent, I don't actually feel that as a victim mentality or like a blaming of me. Yes. I feel like it's my, it's my pathway to my healing. Right. I can say, oh, I'm a codependent. So I can read Pia Melody or Melody Beatty and go, oh, right. Yes. That's my shit. Right. And so it feels to me more empowering and, and as I said, like directional for where I need to look and right. Us being high empaths and highly sensitive and all of those things makes us more susceptible and also more easily, like more desirable to be targeted. Right. You know, when Jordan first went to rehab, I did learn about codependency. I actually went to a codependency clinic. I checked myself in for a week and it was life-changing. Yeah. However, I guess, you know, my own shame, I just felt about that. Right. And this book though, Women Who Love Psychopaths, really validated that my ex-husband took all of my beautiful qualities of loyalty, compassion, trustworthiness, belief in relationships, empathy, and use them against me. Yep. And that's what I want your readers, you know, your listeners to understand. Yes. So let's talk more about that because so what was for those who have not seen the movie and don't really know a lot about your story, like what is a trauma bond? Like what does that look like? Like we talked about the love bombing and the love bombing is really a destabilization technique. Right. And so what is, so what was the trauma bond and tell me, and like, tell us a little bit more about your story. Yeah. So, so what happened is that again, it was fast and furious. That's the way my ex-husband rolls. And I was kind of like holding onto his coattails and going with him. And there was something in me, of course, that fell in love with him because he's very charming and magnanimous and handsome. And then because I had never dealt with anybody who used coercive threats, That's what's, that's what I realized now was the love bombing because I was dating him. And he said, if you're not going to marry me, I'm not going to date you. And I was like, what? (laughs) 22, 23. I don't want to get married. I didn't want to get married because my parents got divorced. So I didn't want to get married till I was 30. Yeah. I acquiesced. I said, okay, maybe another coercive threat. Oh, well, now that you're going to marry me, if you don't have kids right away, I'm not going to marry you. So that's a trauma bond. The coercive threats and the intimidation, it was, and I'm tough. Okay. I'm a girl from Brooklyn, Brooklyn girl, (laughs) but you know, and that was my own grandiosity and narcissism that I thought I could actually manage this person. No way. 
And that's actually what drove me to therapy. So it was the constant control, the need to control the intimidation, the isolation. You can't be friends with that person, uh, the alienation. And I'm going to sequester you out into Long Island. But I was like, I want to live in the city. I'm a young girl. So it was, that's, that's the love bombing. It's the control, the coercion, the intimidation, and then it, then abuse. And the trauma bond is the, is actually the cycling between Mm -hmm. the love bombing and the abuse and the love bombing and the abuse, right? Because the love bombing didn't just happen in the beginning, right? There'd be the abuse and then. Oh, then a horse would show up in my driveway because I loved how to love to horseback ride. Right. 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 And right. so it's, there's that operant conditioning, right? Of I love you, but I'm going to be abusive. I love you. And so that's what creates the cognitive dissonance. You're my soulmate. And if you don't do what I want you to do, you're in trouble and, and you'll lose off. this. Yes. Right. You'll lose this. Yep. And, but since we're soulmates, wow, do you really want to, right? Like it's, and that's coercive control, right? Yeah. And I think because my father, uh, my mother had kicked my father out when I was six and he was a very charming man who ends up being a gambling addict. I realized that the stock market is the same thing as gambling. hundred percent. I just chose every person. My father's six, one and gorgeous. And I just chose a guy that's five, six, but he had the same energy, but Mm -hmm. because my father left at six and he was very kind to me, you know, sporadically after that, I really didn't know, but they were really the same. very similar. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Same, same. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So we're really relating on all this. So the, and we're offering this to people just so that they, they don't have to go through 25 years of therapy, getting my master's, getting my doctorate and taking a post-doc training. <laughs> save you money and time. Oh my gosh. So the next question I have for you about this is, I mean, how did it, well, it ended, it ended in a very dramatic fashion, which is incorrect in the movie. Right. Um, it actually, I don't know why they didn't just make it the way it happened because it's a lot more (laughs) dramatic, (laughs) right? It didn't end until the FBI swarmed your house. Right. Exactly. So a year before the FBI swarmed my house, my ex-husband's drug addiction was out of control. He was cooking crack in my country kitchen. (laughs) And literally, it was like a Scarface episode where he was doing all this coke. And I went to a counselor with him and she said, and so we went for the first session. And then the second session, she said to me, if you do not leave this man, you will get cancer. Mm, Wow. And so I went home and did an intervention on him where he went crazy. I said, I'm not going to sit here and watch you kill yourself. I'm going to confront your drug addiction. If you don't stop, I'm going to leave. And then he threw all my clothes and jewelry into the fireplace, let them on fire. Then I went to the closet and just said, dear God, goddesses, whoever's listening, help me get through this. And so. And by this point, you had two children. Yeah. The next day. He told me he was going to take my daughter, who's actually getting married and is a therapist as well. No surprise there, that he was going to take her to Florida on a private plane. And I was like, no, you're not. And so when I, when he was holding her, he kicked me down the stairs, (sighs) but my mother was smart and said, warn the police that you're in a domestic violence situation. I called 911, hung up. He went into the garage. He drove her into the, him 
actually he drove all three of us into the garage door and I looked at my housekeeper and I said, take her. So then he went to rehab. He got sober for a year. But Jordan had always told me that the only way you can leave me is in a body bag. And he had so much power and money and control that I knew he would use that. And so his narrative is that I left him because once he lost everything, but my narrative is that once the FBI came, right. It's nice for him. Once the FBI came and put an ankle bracelet on him, I knew I was safe to leave. And I did. Amazing. Yeah. So I say that very fast and, you know, without a lot of emotion because I processed it, Sure. but I can see from your face that you're feeling it. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. And it is a lot to hear someone speak of in a matter of fact tone. And I, and, and I do, I mean, I completely acknowledge that you have, you are a therapist. You have been through this. You, you process it ad nauseum, but I also want to honor your listeners that take it. We can take a breath. Right. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor today for over a decade. I've helped divorcing moms put their children at the center of all of their decisions. So whenever I hear about moms struggling to co-parent with an ex that abuses alcohol, I have one system in mind, Soberlink. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they're not drinking during parenting time. Soberlink's real-time alerts, Facial recognition and tamper detection ensure the integrity of each test, so you can be confident your kids are with a sober parent. With Soberlink, judges rest assured that your child is safe, attorneys get court-admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Trust the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology to keep you informed and your kids safe and secure. For an exclusive $50 off your device and to download the resource I created with Soberlink, Checklist for High Conflict Divorces, visit Soberlink.com slash DSG. And now back to our show. Now, what do you say to women who are listening who may hear themselves in the story, but also think like, because your story is extreme, right? And I think it's a, it's almost like, like, right, there's an extreme version of this that people, but people recognize their, their story somewhere in it. But I also, I also worry that sometimes people say, like, I hear all the time, well, he doesn't hit me. So, or he's, he hasn't cheated on me. So, right. And then, so what do you say to women who may not be in such an extreme situation, but are kind of hearing something resonant? What I would say to them is to trust their inner voice. Mm -hmm. Don't drive past the red flags like I did. Yeah. Um, We're naming the red flags for this very purpose and to trust that little inner voice that says, you know what? You don't deserve to be treated like this. This is not healthy. This is not what's correct. Because again, gaslighting, right, is not physical. Yet emotional abuse has the same scars as physical abuse. I mean, that that one time he was physically abusive, but there was a lot of emotional abuse through control, coercion, name calling. And 
don't ignore those signs. And if you feel them, go get help. Yeah, that's right. There's help out there. There's a lot more information now. And I'm so grateful for that. Than, than I was, than was 25 years ago. I was really forging this pathway because I, I mean, I want to make meaning out of my suffering. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you do, and you do. I mean, I think it's for us, we went through it. There was, there was no name for it. We didn't understand what was happening. And now I think people are starting to understand more what's happening. There's still there, that otherism like, oh, well, you know, that, that happened for them. That's not me. But when we start to notice that like, oh, it, oh, it is me actually, whether it's a tiny thread or like the whole thing, it's, it's happening to you. And so if once women hear that, like once they, once they hear that voice, Mm -hmm. what's next for them? Get help, reach out. Yes. Because you need validation of your experience or else you can't change it because a, a person like that is always going to tell you you're crazy, you're over-exaggerating, you're overreacting, right. you're not making sense. So to tell it to somebody else is very important to have that pain witnessed mm-hmm. and then validated and then educate yourself. Understand your role in it, which is what I did too, because blame doesn't do anybody any good. And then enlist resources to help you make change because they are out there. There's, I went to Codependence Anonymous for a year. Oh, yeah. I went, I mean, yes. I Well, I did CODA for a bit and then 20 years of Al-Anon. So, like, there's, exactly. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of help. There's a lot of help. So, how did you face the healing process? I mean, like you said, CODA, therapy. But what would you, not just the modalities, but, like, what was the process that you had to go through to mm. heal? Right. So I think what was a major turning point for me was I understand that most love relationships have issues, right? Nobody's perfect. Like we're not going to find the ideal lover. They don't exist. I'm not the ideal lover. Yet when I expressed to Jordan how much pain and suffering I had gone through when he was finally sober, he looked at me and he said, it wasn't that bad. And that was my moment where something inside of me turned and I didn't know what that was, but that's called callousness. Mm-hmm. And that callous, I listened to that voice, even though I didn't take action on it in that moment, I did listen to it. And so I kept tuning into myself, tuning into myself. And even though everybody in society and saying, don't do this, don't do that, what you're going to do, but it's just the answers lied within me. And I finally got that and not that it was easy. And I did keep questioning myself and reflecting what I was doing. And I just kept learning and um, having a lot of self-compassion. Yeah. And I think that that is, that's one of the hardest things to do is the self-compassion, right? Because that's actually the opposite of shame, right? right? So, so when you're so full of shame for someone to be like, love yourself or have compassion for yourself. And you're like, all I feel is shame and darkness, right? That's, that's, that's really tricky. Yeah. And and I'm glad you used the word. It is a process because there was meditation involved, prayer, dream work, art therapy. I mean, there was a lot that went, that helped me get through that. And every day, you know, I just 
kept building another layer, putting another brick back in my foundation. Because when you're in a trauma bond, your sense of self gets stripped. Completely. I mean, that's yeah. the that's the design, right? That's the... Right. Right. So if we look at why I married Jordan, it was for my self-worth, security, and identity. So those were the three things that I had to build within myself. Right. And that's right. what I did. Mm-hmm. And then how are your how were your children through all of this? I mean, he went to jail. How long did he go to, to prison for? Well, he went to prison. Well, he first went to prison originally for six months. That's what allowed me to move because he broke his per, uh, probation or whatever that's called because he took a helicopter to Atlantic City. Big shocker there. So that and then he went to jail for 22 months. And my kids are great. My kids are really wonderful because we never I never hid what what had happened. Mm. We always discussed it and processed our feelings, which I learned from my mother. How old were they when? They were three and five when I left, when I left. Three and five. And so you were really honest with them about what was going on, about how, I mean, how. Not not at that moment. I, I just said, you know, your dad's working. And then as they got older and I knew that their brains and hearts and minds and bodies and souls could handle more information, I, I told them bit by bit what happens because trauma needs to be titrated. Mm-hmm. You can't mm-hmm. dump trauma on people, right? No matter what the children or adults, you need to slow the process down. And Jordan is a good dad. He came to California and, and for the first two years he lived here, I lived there. And it was, I mean, I lived in California, he lived here. Then he did move to California because he does love his kids. And so little by little, I just shared with them my process. So by the time the movie came out, they were like, okay, who cares? Right. Yeah. And so do they, and they have a relationship with him now? He's, they do. They do. do. I mean, we're all complicated. Right. People hurt people. Yes. Nobody hurts people because they're, they feel like it. Right. Sure. You all act out because we're wounded. And so my daughter's a therapist and she gets it. And my son, he could be a therapist, but. Right. Right. Sure. How old are your kids now? Do you mind me asking? Yeah. My daughter's 28. She's getting married in September. My son's going to be 26. So again, they're great kids and they love their dad. And I would never, that would not listen. This is what I say to women out there or people or whoever, you know, they out there or her or him. For some reason, I had children with this man. Yep. I have to honor that. And take care of their souls first. Yeah. So it's really interesting because people ask me a lot about how I balance sort of owning my truth and my story with not throwing my ex under the bus or not destroying my son's relationship with him. Right. And I, th- and I think I'm still in a very delicate place with that. My son is just about to be 16 and oh. he's at that age where he's starting to see things for himself and ask yes. a lot of questions. Right. Yes. And then I... Yes. And I am answering them as honestly as I can. Yes. But I also, again, don't want to traumatize him, but also like I need to, I need to validate his experience of Mm -hmm. his dad, right? Which is very similar to my experience of his dad. But then also at the same time, he's a, he's a great dude and he's a great dad. And he's like, you know, like he's, he's so complicated. Right. And I always say it's like, it's like you said, it's not black and white. We are not good and evil. We are not. Right. Mm-hmm. And to hear, I think it's really interesting and important for women to hear that even the Wolf of Wall Street is a great dad and has a relationship with his children. Mm-hmm. And presumably you and he are going to be at this wedding together. Right. In oh, we, are. we are. Yeah. 
are. We are. We are. And, you know, I really learned that from my mother because my mom left my dad when she was like 25 huh. on welfare. And she said, we're going to be a family with or without him. And I'm going to allow you the space to have your own relationship with your dad. And she did that. Yeah. Right. So I'm resting mm-hmm. on the shoulders of giants. And yeah. she, she taught me that. And listen, there's a lot of things I love about Jordan. I love the who could go through a Greek tragedy, write a book, and then make it a movie? Him. Right. Right. You know, and those are the things that I respect about him as well. So, and he is the father of my children, and I have to figure out a way to make it work for them. It's not always easy, especially now that I'm coming out about this, this story. Well, that's what is. Yeah, exactly. Like, does he know that you're out here publicly oh, yeah. talking about it? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't love it, just like I didn't love it. But we have to deal with it, right? Right. And it's not against him. It's really to educate people so they can learn from our dramatic image of our story. Yes. That's right. right. That's, it's not, I'm not, you know, he has his own journey, his own life. I respect him. And I have my own journey in life and I respect myself. I love that. I love the duality of that and that you are able to hold both things with, it sounds like with clarity, Right. Yes. I know that when I hold both things, sometimes I'm not as clear. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you know, there's a there's a wobbly line for me sometimes. And also my son's not an adult. Like, you know, yes. I still actively have to co-parent with him. I think that's different too. My children are now much older and yep. it, there were plenty of wobbly moments, but that's when I would go to professionals. Yeah. Yep, it would help that's, me ground in myself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, not, it's not about hurting anybody. It's just about me expressing and living my authenticity. Yeah. And protecting my children. Because that's always been my number one thing. Yeah. And he's and he's safe now. He's not, I mean, he yeah, because they're adults, he's, he's safe. He's good. He's still Jordan. Like he makes shit happen and he does what he needs to do. And you know, I look forward to seeing him at the wedding. We'll we'll tease each other, we'll make fun of each other, and life goes on. That's so great. And that I think is the beauty of the story, right? Is that uh, it's me not too. a death sentence. Like it's not a life sentence, a trauma yeah. bond. Right. You did. I always say, ironically, the wolf was my Buddha because he was a good mirror for me to really look at my past. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I had a perfect childhood. And somebody with the codependency clinic was like, I don't think that's why you got kicked down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how delusional I was, right? And I needed to look at that. And that's why I look at all relationships in general. I think that's so, I think that's a, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a beautiful way to look at it. And I a hundred percent agree. And I think it's, it's hard. I think it may be hard for women listening to this to like, but how, but how, right. Right. And you might, and you might not be there now hmm. yet. If you do the inner work, and rely on external resources of friends, therapy, groups, family members, you will get there. That's right. I mean, That's I'm 53 right. and I've been in therapy for 25 years and I'm a therapist, but I don't like, and I still struggle. I, I mean, this is sort of, I, I've, I say the same thing, right? Like I, similar, like I'm 50, I've been in decades and decades worth of therapy and 12-step programs and I do this for a living and I still, and like my ex and I are still like, 
just now, like today, we're getting together for coffee to talk about co-parenting and we're hiring a co-parenting specialist because we're not doing it well. <laughs> and like, we know that, right? Like, this is the deal. This is how things are. This is what it is. And I just want to stress that, that for anyone who listens to me talking or Nadine talking and thinks that there's some sort of panacea or ideal, like, no, no. however, however, do the fucking work. Hire yes. the therapist. Go to the codependency right. clinic. I I did that. I don't even know if I've said it on the podcast yet, but in April I went yeah. away for a week oh. to to try. I called it trauma camp to Amazing. codependency. Right? I went oh to. Oh my god! Where did you go? I went to the Meadows. Oh, okay. For, I went to I went to the Karen Foundation in Pennsylvania. Thirty one yeah. changed my life. Yep. It was. I mean, it's like a year's worth of therapy in a week. It was. It insane. is. It was insane. It and it's all the codependency work because that's where Pia Melody did her yes, work was at the I Meadows, know, right? So, I know. Yes. so I was like, all right, I'm I'm there for a week. And it was unbelievable. But I had to do it because I was triggered. Yeah. My trauma was so, something there was an, there was a there was a triggering event that was quite large. <laughs> okay. I was so far back that I was non-functioning. I was so deeply in my trauma that I was in a frozen state like for oh. days. And my, and my therapist was like, you, you, you're in, you're in a trauma response. You have yeah. to do. And I was like, I got to go away. Like, I actually don't think yeah. I can be in my life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's me after 20 years of doing this work. Yeah. So for people listening, oh yeah, that's what it takes. That's what it takes. And I'll never forget, you know, cause I've been in therapy for eight years and then I went to this codependency clinic mm-hmm. and I looked at one girl and I said, oh my God, I'm never going to be the same again. She goes, good. Cause you were really fucked up. <laughs> I was like, you're right. I was. Yeah, right. Exactly. But a week in one of those places really was like years of therapy. It really is. And it really is. Yeah. And and I also want to offer this to people because I know therapy can be expensive yet. Mm -hmm. I had to do 3000 hours. There There are amazing interns out there that are sliding scale that are five and $10 an hour. Find it in your state. Yes, that's right. There is help that's affordable. There is help. And if you're in an area or region where you don't have access, because I know a lot of people are in areas where there's like one therapist for the whole town, like get online. There's better help. There are online therapies. My my friend Eric started Ayana therapy for those in marginalized communities to pair them with therapists of similar that are also in that information. I'd love to put that on my website. Please. It's it's fantastic, right? Because so there is Al-Anon is free. And during the pandemic yeah. and beyond it's online too right like that's right that's right yeah oh i sat in in the basement of many churches with my friends they'd be like i don't want to go i'm like shut up you're coming yep we, yep. Need, this. we all yeah. need it we all we need all- it mm-hmm. whether or not by the way they do the work so your healing and i think this is really important uh-huh. your healing nadine having having gone through this trauma bond and this experience with the wolf of wall street uh-huh. in this extreme right had nothing to do with whether or not jordan belfort got any help for his addictions made amends to you nothing. did like it had nothing to do with it right Yeah. And I think that's a really beautiful point is because part of being, you know, codependent is that you are so obsessed with fixing others. Now I've just turned my pathology into a business, but 
Right. <laughs> Me too. Right. When I, I started coaching, I was like, right. wait a minute, is this my Al-Anon shit? Am I, what am I? <laughs> oh yeah. But, but now I do it in a healthy way. Right. And so the thing is that I was so fixated on him because I never looked at me. Right. And I had to look at me if I was going to have a healthy life. And that doesn't mean it doesn't have tons of bumps, but at least I can ride the bumps. I have That's the right. tools to ride the bumps. I built resilience. Yes. And I've built resources and resilience because life is always going to throw shit at us. I mean, let's be real. I've had breast cancer. I have melanoma. Like, it's not like life is perfect and I can deal with it. Right. To the right. best of my ability. Right. Whether he does or not. And I think Whether that's. Whether he does or not. Yeah. Right. And listen, that's his own journey, you know, and even my children, that's their journey. Mm-hmm. Even my patients, that's their journey. I'm there to facilitate their process. That's all I'm there to do. That's right. But it's all within them anyway. That's right. Yeah, no, he's, listen, we're two, we're all separate individual people and we can have interdependent intimacy. Yes. Yes. Say, define that for us quickly, because I think a lot yeah, of people I know, are like, we're done. We, could, we could talk like all <laughs> we day. We do a whole co- but, podcast but, on interdependence. Inter- inter- interdependent intimacy means that you can connect your authentic self while you're in a relationship, be in your own power, which is the ability to have influence over yourself and be connected and be respected. Yeah. And and still have scuffles. That's the dream. That's the dream, but, right? So that you come back to that. Right. Yeah. I'm in a marriage now for 22 years. So a crazy Sicilian. And we do it. We practice it every day. So, so great. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. Like you, you're remarried. You are in a healthy, happy relationship. And yeah. Yeah. Totally imperfect and messy and raw. Mm-hmm. But we fight it out every day. And that's what I'd love to leave your listeners with that it doesn't look maybe the way we've been taught it's supposed to look. Good. Yeah. But <laughs> you, can have, you can have quality of connection with your partner, lover, as long as you give them the space to be who they are. That's right. That's yeah. Right. And I just loved talking to you. You're Me like too. an emotional rock star. I love, <laughs> I love it. Back at you, babe. I love it. I love this conversation. So tell people where they can. So you have a new book coming out. You have. Oh, right, right, right. I, yes, tell I, us I, all I, the I, things I, and I, where I, people I, can I, find I, you. What's, what's the title of my book? Wait, I think it's healing from trauma bonds or no more trauma bonds. No more no, trauma bonds. No more trauma bonds. No, no can, more trauma bonding. Oh, there we go. See, I don't even know. <laughs> See how perfect I am? So I have no trauma bonding and you can find me at nadinemacaluso.com or Dr. Nadine Macaluso on Instagram. I post daily because I am determined to destigmatize mental health and support people's mental health. Thank you so much for coming on. I so appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.